Amen. All righty. Well, I don't know if you guys were here last week and you saw that epic fail of a sermon illustration. Yeah, we fixed it up, by the way. I don't have time to show you the new and improved version. But anyway, so after that, you know, it was, it was a tense, right? We had some angst going on there as I stood over there and watched you guys do what you did. If you guys weren't here, you missed it. But anyway, that's right. So anyway, after all that, with the Wimberleys and the Gibsons there, uh, John and Ruth, they decided to get it away, uh, away from it all, right? Because there's some serious high pressure when you let Pastor Billy down like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so they, they decided to get away from it all and go on this cruise, right? And everything was going along just fine on their cruise. And all of a sudden, though, a, a, a storm appeared on the horizon. And as it got closer and closer to the boat, uh, it started to make the, the boat rock back and forth and all. And John and Ruth, they're trying their best to be romantic, you know, stand at the back of the boat and watching the moon and all. But with all this rocking going on, a wave came up and washed Ruth overboard. Yeah. Hi, Ruth. Anyway, so, so <laughs> of course, uh, J- uh, John and the crew, they searched for days and days and they couldn't find her. And, and so the captain sent John home with the promise that uh, he would notify him as soon as they found something. Well, guess what? Three weeks went by and finally John got the facts from the ship and it simply said this. They said, sir... We're sorry to inform you that we found your wife, but she died in the ocean. And we hauled her back up on the deck. We found uh, an oyster attached to her hindquarters, and inside of it was a pearl worth $50,000. Please advise. So John, obviously, he, Mother's Day especially, he he wiped the tears from his eyes, and he faxed back these instructions. He said, send me the pearl and rebate the trap. (laughs) And the fact that you're laughing shows that something's wrong with that. Can you believe that on Mother's Day even, John? Can you believe that? <laughs> now, how many guys would uh, say that not only John, but Pastor Billy is in the doghouse? You know, we're going on a cruise, all right. <laughs> we're both going on a cruise, okay? 50,000 bucks, that's a lot of money, but come on. Rebate the... John, have you been eating chicken on stage again? What's going on here? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, last word. But anyway, seriously, folks, believe it or not, uh, how many guys would say that was a poor decision? Right, you know what I'm saying? Well, believe it or not, I've seen the same kind of poor decisions happening to Christians all the time, okay? And it's not when they find out that their spouse threw them back in the ocean to get another pearl. Listen, it's when Christians actually consider hanging out with God as if it was going to make them hurl. Can you believe that? As we've been seeing, folks, I mean, how did it get that way? How in the world did it become something horrible as a Christian to spend time with God, the creator of the universe? And if you put it in this context, we've been seeing, I mean, it, it didn't start off that way when we got saved, right? I mean, when we first got saved, we longed for God. We, 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 we couldn't wait to spend time with God. We loved God. You see, that's the issue, isn't it? How in the world did it get like that? Well, folks, we've been seeing or study. What I've personally learned over the years is simply this. When we lose sight of what we really have in Jesus Christ, uh, what he died on the cross for, and that is a beautiful, loving, intimate, personal relationship with the creator of the universe. That's what he died on the cross for. That was a joy set before him, okay, as we read in the scripture. And I'm telling you, folks, we've been seeing, once we lose sight of that one awesome, amazing truth, just like that, not 15 years, not 15 days, not a week, just like that overnight, your once vibrant, awesome, beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with Jesus just turned into that dry, stale, boring, man-made religion thing called churchianity, right? As we've been seeing, that disease, Apparently, it's infecting the American church all over the place. It's unfortunate, folks. Therefore, to stave that disease off from coming here at sunrise, we're going to continue our study called Renewing Your Faith. Turn to somebody again and say, hey, it's time to renew your faith. Okay? And what we're doing, as you know, is we're revisiting the so-called basics of Christianity. Except this time, we're looking at it renewed with a new set of eyes. And that new set of eyes, a focus is a 
relationship. Why? Well, thanks for asking, Reed. You're right there again. Uh, it's because that's what we have with God. It's a relationship, right? But that's the problem. We treat it like a religion, okay? We've already seen that first basic thing we got to get reacquainted with was a renewed prayer life. The second thing we saw was a renewed worship. The third thing was a renewed service, okay? The fourth one was a renewed Bible study. And the last two times we saw, the fifth thing was a renewed fellowship. And what we saw there was fellowship, you know, getting together as the family of God. And what, what's the context? It's simply this, celebrating your relationship with God with other Christians who are also celebrating their relationship with God. That's all it is. It's nothing mystical or magical or mysterious, okay? It's just a big old giant family party, godly party, partying God's way. That's all it is. And when you get together, you don't do it with this attitude uh, with isolation or rationalization or, or not only that, but not only with that, you have that, this attitude of inaction, as we saw there with the football analogy. You don't sit there and say as the quarterback, I don't need to go to the stadium to be a, a quarterback. <laughs> what? That's where you function. That's where you do what you do. And as Christians, the church, ecclesia, it's plural, means a group of called out ones. The word church, the very word church, it's not a building. It's us. We're the body of Christ. Okay, and God gives each one of us gifts to function, to benefit each other. You can't do that alone. We get together, we need each other. We're a godly family, we can party God's way, doing godly party stuff, okay, but we're a God's team. We need each other. One last time, turn to somebody and say, I need you, man. I need you. It's true, I'm telling you. Especially intern Joe. Is anybody excited about the cross? Look what he did. Isn't that cool, the guy? That's awesome. Woo! I'm here for you, buddy. That's right. Now will you take me out to lunch? Yeah. Okay, cool. That's all right. I'll take that anyway. But anyway, that's right. Believe it or not, folks, we got one more to go. The sixth basic thing of Christianity we got to get reacquainted with is the basics of, I couldn't wait for this one, witnessing. Huh? Oh, not that one. Come on, Pastor Billy. It was convicting enough with the Bible study and prayer and all that. Stuff. Yeah. Folks, I'm telling you, you should be excited about witnessing. Witnessing is not as complicated as we make it. It's because we're suffering from churchianity. We've forgotten what it's all about, apparently. But don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God's. Open your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is the context here. Okay? And in the context, as you turn there to Matthew 28, Jesus' final words before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And as we've seen several times before, when somebody has their last words, you would think typically they're going to come across with some heavy weight, right? Now, of course, Jesus' words, anything he says, uh, carries great authority, obviously, being the Son of God. Okay, but here's his last words, what he's going to share to encourage, believe it or not, uh, the disciples before he leaves, okay? It's awesome, great news. Matthew 28, let's take a look there at uh, verses 16 uh, through 28. Over here in my section, it says the Great Commission. Now, notice it wasn't the uh, Grand Suggestion. Notice it wasn't something that you uh, launch a committee over and let somebody else do that. It's the Great Commission, okay? It's something that we are called to do. It's a privilege. But let's take a look at the text. This is what Jesus says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And where they saw him, they, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then listen to what Jesus said. All authority, how much? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Therefore... Go and make believers, no, disciples, disciplined learners of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey how much? Everything I have commanded you. And surely, if that wasn't cool enough, I am with you always to the very end 
of the age. Now, folks, believe it or not, this passage is absolutely amazing. It's comforting. And Jesus shares with us some comforting truths uh, within this text here. We seem to get focused on the middle one, but we uh, forget that it's couched between two. The first thing he says there, that he says, we need to understand, listen, Christian, even though it's going to be hard on this world, even though the world's not going to like us, the world's not going to like Jesus, the world doesn't like the message of the cross, they consider it foolishness. Okay, even though we're going to have hard times here on earth, Jesus says, understand this. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. So guess what? You and I, the Christian, we don't need to freak out. We don't need to be afraid because he's in control of all things. You slap Romans 8.28 on that, and that means he works all things together for good. We don't need to freak out. No matter what goes on in life, Jesus Christ is in control. Now, in a world full of hardships and persecution, that's a good thing to know, right? Number two, he says, listen, we are to know that even though his physical absence is not here with us right now, He is still with us wherever we go as his child because we have become his temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Jesus Christ promises he is with us intimately wherever we go, even to the very end of the age. Isn't that awesome to know that God never takes a vacation from us? Aren't you glad that he isn't getting upset right now with the angels saying, who in the world forgot to send me that email of what's going on with Freddie? You're fired. Anybody glad that he's with us intimately wherever we go? Listen, and then even when we blow it, he says, that's it. Away from me. He says, I'm with you even to the very end of the age. Isn't that comforting? Now, that is in between there. He says the third thing, and believe it or not, it's very comforting too, not just those two. Tucked right in between those two is some other comforting words. And he simply says this. We need to, as Christians, as disciples, we need to get busy sharing this good news about Jesus to who? The whole world, okay? It's the old breathing test. How do you know if I should witness to this person? Well, stick your hand up to their faith. And if you feel air moving, witness to them, right? They're breathing, in case you're wondering. That's right, okay? That's what he's talking about. And, And if you think about it, this is a privilege. Yes, even this great commission is, a, is awesome news. It's comforting that you and I not only are to be recipients of this good news and that we can know that Jesus is always with us even to the very end of the age and that he's with us wherever we go and that he's in full control of all things, but we have the privilege to, guess what, tell other people, hey, that could be the same for you as well. That's not something, that's not the great torture. It's the great commission. This is something awesome. Okay, and so here's the point. I mean, surely that's what we're doing, right? I mean, we're not sitting on this good news, man. We're, we're not keeping it to ourselves. We're out there excited. Woohoo! Hey, everybody! Well, I had to upgrade this week to a different sound so as to get rid of the monotonous illustration, but let's go with this one. Who is right, Joey? Wrong answer, okay? No, man, you guys know what's going on. Unfortunately, when it comes to witnessing, folks, uh, most of us, when it comes to sharing this news, this good news, that's what the word gospel means, good news of Jesus Christ, hey, we act like sometimes uh, we're going to get killed for it, right? Like this guy. Let's, let's take a look at his reaction. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, oh sorry. No. Oh, you first. You, you first? No, you go. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Sure. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. 
there's this bridge, see, it's a Jesus cross-shaped bridge that sinner's prayer, gotcha, Jesus over the bridge, see, for the Christians, your first six days in hell. church? Well, no. No, I don't. Well, would you ever consider coming to my church with me? Sure. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, I'll see you later. All right, see ya. Oh, now, folks, let's be honest. How many guys can identify with that guy's uh, nervousness there? His nervousness there, right? And if you think about it, that's just inviting somebody to church services. It's not really witnessing. I mean, I mean, it gets to be a sharp stick in the eye, okay? And here's my point, folks. When it comes to witnessing, sometimes isn't that our attitude? We, we either flat out, we don't want to do it. We don't look forward to doing it. Or when we do do it, we freak out and act like the other person's going to kill us. Right? Oh no, not that invited friend Sunday again. Pastor Billy keeps giving us these DVDs to give to somebody. Ah, they're going to stab me. But folks, this, this is not what we just read. This is called the message of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission is what? The good news, right? This is the good news that we get to share. In fact, it's the greatest good news of all time. That mankind can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ on the cross. That all of our sins can be forgiven so we can not just go to heaven, but right here and now before we go to heaven, they can have an intimate, beautiful, loving, personal relationship with Jesus Christ just like us now. Why is that bad? It's not. It should be a privilege. Okay, so let's get back to that. Let's get back to that renewed witness. Okay, let's revisit this topic again, but this time to the eyes of a beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that. We need to ask ourselves some basic questions. And the first one is, all right, well, why do we do it? Okay, why do we witness? Well, I really think it's pretty obvious when you take a look at this text, okay? And this is just one of many. And uh, by the way, this is from Jesus Christ, okay? And he gives the parable of the rich man and uh, the Lazarus, the beggar. And he says this, Luke 16, verse 22 through 28. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Well, the rich man, he also died and he was buried. And where did he go? Hell. I call it the silent H word in the American church today. Nobody wants to talk about it, even though Jesus talked about it about twice as many times as he did heaven. Why? Because any sane person would warn somebody about going to that literal place. Amen? Amen. If you love them. 
In hell, where he was where? Parting with his buddies? No, he was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and, and cool my tongue. Why? Because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are, yeah, you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, he says, then, then I beg you, Father, listen, listen, listen to his next request. If I can't get out of here, and if I can't get any relief from this agony and torment, what's his next request? Listen as he says, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they may not also come to this place of torment. What was he basically asking? Then would you please send somebody out of love to warn my family to witness to them so that they won't have to come here too it's too late for me but would you send somebody to my family isn't that wild we on earth think witnessing is an option people in hell are begging if you will for us to witness to their family isn't that amazing so let's, let's answer the question that we pose, okay? Why do we witness? Why do we do it, okay? Well, let me see if I can be as blunt as I can uh, according to the words of Jesus. Um, because that's how people get out of hell. <laughs> you know, really? Is it that difficult? Why do we witness? So that's how people get out of hell. What's going on in the text here? What did it say? He said, Jesus said this. He said, it's not just that some people get to go to heaven, okay? I remember one time a, a preacher was doing a funeral and just, just seemed like just trying to escape saying the word, and she's just like, ah, oh, you know, the loved one, they just, they just, you know, just didn't make it to heaven. It just, just, just didn't make it to heaven. Just, I, it's okay, it's not a dirty word in the biblical sense. If you're not saved, you're going to hell. Jesus said, listen, it's not that some people just, you know, get to go to heaven. Um, he says, and it's not just that you miss out on heaven. You don't just go to some mythical place and just, woo. There's only two options. You either get to go to heaven, or what did Jesus say? You are going to hell, okay? And how many guys would say the rich man was not enjoying himself? How many guys would say that the rich man was not living it up, partying with his buddies? Yeah, 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 like you hear people say today. Well, if there's a hell, I'm going down there partying with my buddies. We're going to be drinking beer. No, you're not. You're going to be in torment. The rich man was in agony. He was in torment. He wasn't pardoning up. He was in pain. He was in horrible pain, unending pain, nonstop pain for all eternity. And he begged somebody, would you please go witness to my family? And so here's the point. Surely that's what we're doing as Christians. I mean, we're getting this news out. I mean, think about this. This is all Jesus is asking us to do. Listen, are you thankful that you're not going to hell? Are you thankful that somebody shared that good news with you and you received it so you won't go to hell and you're not going to hell? Would you please share it with somebody else? It's good news. It's, it's, it's good news. I, I, I wish, I, I'd almost want to say it a thousand times because the enemy's got his brainwashed that it's the bad news. It's like the guy in the video. Uh, uh, are, you, are you crazy? This is good news. Whether they receive it or not, we'll see Lord willing next week. That's not our job. Just share it, the good news. But you got to get it through your head. It's the good news. It always blows me away. We've talked about this before in our Wednesday night studies. 
Christians sometimes they'll come to me and Pastor Billy, I'm just I'm so full of anxiety. I I just I can't stop. I'm just I'm full of worry. I just can't these things. I can't I can't even sleep at night. I'm just so full of anxious. I'm just worried about this whatever. I said, oh, well, tell me about your daily routine. Right? How, and usually, how's your walk with Jesus Christ? Right? Well, if, what's the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Well, you would think as a Christian, I'm reading the Bible. I'm praying. Well, first thing I do when I get in the morning is I turn on the news. And, and you turn on the news, it's always bad, right? Have you noticed? Hello, right? Wait, you turn on the news, what do you hear? Oh, somebody stabbed somebody. Somebody killed somebody. They ran over their dog, you know. They all this stuff, the terrorist, the bomb, the blah, right? And then you get done watching the news. You finally get ready for work and you hop in your car. You turn on the news, right? And so what do you hear? Well, somebody kicked their dog. They blew up the terrorist bomb, killing, stabbing, ah, right? So you get to work and you got to do your work, but you have lunchtime. So you and your fellow co-workers, uh, what do you talk about during the lunch break? Hey, did you hear what was on the news? Oh, stabbing, you know, right? And so then you finally get done with work. You go uh, back home, but you're in the car. You turn on the radio. What do you listen to? More news. Oh, stabbing, killing, stabbing, blowing, blah, right? And then you finally get home. And you eat a meal and you go to bed. And you think, okay, surely you're going to read the Bible and pray now. No. One last time before you go to sleep, what do you do? Turn on the news. What do you hear? Ah, bombs killing, stabbing, blowing. Ah, and you wonder why you can't sleep. <laughs> what? I don't have time for this. Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, you want the peace of God? You don't want to be anxious for anything? Hey, put these things in your mind. Whatever is right, excellent, praiseworthy, trustworthy, true. And that only comes from the God. If you think that the news is right, excellent, trustworthy, and true, I got some swamp land over here I'm going to sell you. Right? <laughs> That's what you do. But here it is, how funny that we ingest all this bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, and we, we can't even get any rest. And Jesus says, listen, I agree with you, if you will. This world is full of nothing but bad news from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. But can I tell you something, Christian? I've got a fantastic, awesome ministry for you. You get to share some good news. And don't we need some good news on this planet? And folks, this isn't just good news. This is the greatest news of all time, okay? But again, this is, our, the enemy's got us twisted around. We don't look upon sharing this good news as a wonderful privilege. We look it upon as something as if it were horrible. Listen, as if somebody were asking us to go to hell. It's torturous. It's, it's a tormenting task. Whoa. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not what we just read. This is the greatest news of all time. God has made a way that we can be saved from having to go to hell. What is so hellish about telling other people about that? Do you see how the enemy's got it completely twisted around? It's wild, folks. Oh, that's a sign of churchianity. And then if you want to flip it around, th this is consequences. This isn't like, well, we disagree on the spiritual gifts. Or you have a different position on the rapture of the church. This is eternity with a non-Christian. What's on the line here? Heaven or hell? This is serious stuff. And the fact that we get the privilege to share with somebody so they can at least have an opportunity to hopefully say yes. Wow. But flip it around to the other person's point of view. Can you imagine if somebody knew about this good news and you weren't a Christian and they refused to tell you? Just avoid it the, the, every single time? I mean, wow, what a friend that would be. What a loved one. What a Christian. That I knew you this whole time and you never told me about Jesus. If I didn't know better, probably one day you might get a letter like this in the mail. Let's take a look at this again. 
What if? What if you had a friend who died without knowing Jesus as their personal savior? What if he or she went to hell? What if one day you received a letter in the mail from beyond? A letter from hell. A letter from your friend in the flames of eternal torment. I've been thinking about you. Zach, you're a Christian. You told me so yourself. I mean, we talked about it three different times today. Kelly brought it up, and you laughed it off. Coach Adams brought it up, and you changed the subject. I mean, it came up right before the wreck. Well, the question I can't get out of my mind is this, Zach. Why haven't you ever told me about how to become a Christian? I mean, you say you're my friend. But if you really were, you would have told me about this Jesus. And told me how to escape this terrible place that I'm headed for. I can feel my heart pounding in my chest. The angels who have been chosen to cast me into hell are coming down the hallway. I can hear their footsteps. I've heard of this hell, Zach. They call it the lake of fire. I can't stand it, Zach. I'm terrified. No, the angels are at the door. Oh, no. No! They're coming in, and they're pointing at me. They're grabbing me and carrying me out of the room. I can already smell the burning sulfur and brimstone. I can see the edge of the cliff where hell burns. This is it. I am without hope. We're coming closer. 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 My heart is bursting with fear. They're holding me over the flames. I'm down forever. This is it. They have thrown me in. Fire. Pain. Hell. Why, Zach? Why didn't you ever tell me about Jesus? Jesus. Signed, your friend, Josh. P.S. Wish you were here. Wish you were here. Why do we witness? Because I don't ever want to get a letter like that one. From anyone. Ever. Ever. When we share the good news, it's not something that is shameful. It is not something that is horrible. It is not something that is wretched and tormenting. It is a privilege. It is God's way to let people know you don't have to end up like that. What is so bad about that? And here's the good news, guys. As soon as we realize this, I'm telling you, amazing things can take place. We can make a huge difference around this place. You want to fix our country? Can I tell you? It ain't going to happen with the new president. It ain't going to happen with the new administration. It's not going to happen with 10,000 more laws passed. How's that working out for you? How's the change working out for you without getting too overly political? Excuse me? No. You want to change? You need to get people saved by the Spirit of God. You need to share the gospel. The heart of our country, the heart of our community, everything needs to change and only Jesus Christ can do that. 
But listen, we, might, we think, well, it's an undaunting task. What, little, what can we do? It's just too big. Even Las Vegas, over 2 million people. What can we do? 95% of people don't know Jesus. What can one church do? Don't you realize one person, if you're faithful to the privileged message, you can make an amazing, an amazing difference. And I want to show that to you, okay? Uh, let's say uh, I'm an evangelist. And let's say that I win a person to the Lord every single day this year. That's right, for those of you hooked on math, uh, that would be what? 365. That's right, intern Joe, you're awesome on math. You didn't even use the calculator. That would be 365 people saved in that one year. Now, that's awesome, right? Sure beats a sharp stick in the eye, right? Now, meanwhile, let's flip it around. Let's say you just won one person to Jesus Christ that year. But here's the difference. You discipled the person, Matthew 28. What did Jesus say? Don't go make believers, make disciples. You discipled that person and you showed them how to witness as well. Okay, but that's all you did that first year, okay? Now, the second year, I as an evangelist won another 365. So now I'm up to 730 people in two years. Woo, yeah, right? Now, listen to this. But you, however, together with the one person you discipled the first year, you both now win one more person to Christ the second year, and then you disciple those two new Christians and teach them how to witness, so on and so forth. Okay, so now at the end of 30 years, what's the result? Here's the chart. If you do the math, no wonder Jesus said, don't go make believers, go make disciples. This is where the major impact comes from. Check this out. This is absolutely mind-blowing. Over 30 years, you got the evangelist, 365 people per day. Over 30 years, he wins 10,950 people to Christ. That's amazing, right? Praise God for that. That's better than nothing. Listen, though, but if you do the discipling method, you share, witness one person, show them how to witness, then you keep witnessing what? After 30 years, two people, starting with two people, listen, you can win 1,073,741,824 people to Christ. And can I tell you, that's way more than Las Vegas. We could take Las Vegas in a whole lot less than 30 years if we would each just share, disciple, show them how to witness, and get busy winning the loss for Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And this is what I think. If we stop considering the good news as bad news, if we stop worrying about what people will think about us when we witness and just get busy witnessing and discipling, one person could literally change the world. Like this guy I'm about to show you. It's a little bit lengthy, but you got, this is a true story, guys. This is what one person can do to our planet alive today. One person even in this congregation alive today, you have the ability through Jesus Christ to change the planet. Like this guy. His name was Mr. Ginner. Let's see what he did for Jesus. Let's take a look. A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing, and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, Excuse me, Pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, You've got three minutes. And this man proceeded... He said, I've just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives. And I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney? It runs from the business hub out to the rocks, the colonial area. And he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand, and he said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously, and all the way on British Airlines, back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area, where I'm living now, and thank God he was a Christian, he led me to Christ, and I'm a Christian, and I want a fellowship here, and Baptists love testimonies like it. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into the fellowship. That Baptist pastor 
flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week. And ten days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came to him for counseling and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last-minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. So, sir, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now, this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice, within a fortnight, he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how'd you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago. And an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a stop shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, cheap junk, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. He said, I told my pastor, thinking he would sympathize with me, and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. He then flew the following week to a similar Keswick convention in the Caribbean, to missionaries. And he shared the testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said, we got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that little man's testimony and asking us that same question on George Street in Sydney. Coming back to London, he stopped outside Atlanta, Georgia, to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. And when his three days of revving these naval chaplains up, over a thousand of them, in soul winning, the chaplain general took him out for a meal, and he said, how do you become a Christian? He said, well, it was miraculous. I was a rating on a United States battleship, and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific, and we docked in Sydney Harbor for replenishments. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I got blind drunk, I got on the wrong bus, got off in George Street, and... <laughs> As I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. This elderly, white-haired man jumped in front of me, pushed a pamphlet in my hand and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, you're going to heaven. He said, the fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked sober and ran back to the battleship, sought out the chaplain. The chaplain led me to Christ. And I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance. And here I am in charge of over a thousand chaplains and we're bent on soul winning today. That London preacher... Six months later, flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northeastern India. And at the end, the Indian missionary in charge, a humble little man, took him home to his humble little home for a simple meal. And he said, how did you, as a Hindu, come to Christ? He said, I was in a very privileged position. I worked for the Indian diplomatic mission. And I traveled the world. And I am so glad for the forgiveness of Christ. 
and his blood covering my sin because I'd be very embarrassed if people found out what I got into. He said one bout of diplomatic service took me to Sydney and I was doing some last-minute shopping laden with parcels of toys and clothing for my children walking down George Street and this courteous little white-haired man stepped out in front of me, offered me a pamphlet and said, excuse me sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town, I sought out the Hindu priest and he couldn't help me, but he gave me some advice. He said, just to satisfy your curious mind, nothing else, go and talk to the missionary in the mission house at the end of the road, and that was fatal advice. He said, because that day the missionary led me to Christ, I quit Hinduism immediately, and then began to study for the ministry. I left the diplomatic service, and here I am, by God's grace, in charge of all these missionaries, and we are winning hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. Well, eight months later, that Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney, in Gymea, southern suburb of Sydney, and he said to the Baptist minister, do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat them down, made them some tea, and he was so frail, he was slopping tea into the sauce as he shook. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship, and I lived a reprobate life, and in a crisis, I really hit the wall, and one of my colleagues, whom I gave literal hell, was there to help me. He led me to Jesus, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours, and I was so grateful to God, I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength, sometimes I was ill, I couldn't do it, but I made up for it for other times. I wasn't paranoid about it, but I have done this for over 40 years, and in my retirement years, the best place was on George Street. There were hundreds of people. I got lots of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the tracks. And he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say that has to be commitment. That has to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus to do that, not hearing of any results. Margarita did a little count. That's 146,100 people. That simple little non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. And I believe what God was showing that Baptist minister was the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of this iceberg. Goodness knows how many more had been arrested for Christ and were doing huge jobs out in the mission field. Mr. Genor died two weeks later. And can you imagine the reward he went home to in heaven? I doubt if his face would ever have appeared on Charisma magazine. I doubt if there would ever have been a write-up with a photograph in Billy Graham's Decision magazine, as beautiful as those magazines are. Nobody except a little group of Baptists in southern Sydney knew about Mr. Genor, but I'll tell you his name was famous in heaven. Heaven knew Mr. Genor, and you can imagine the welcome and the red carpet and the fanfare he went home to when he arrived in glory. Why? Because he knows and knew what I think we've forgotten in the church. 
what it means to witness. You don't worry about what other people are going to think or say or do. You just get busy sharing the good news to anyone that comes across your path. It's the greatest news of all time. That's why we witness. And you've heard me say it many times. That's why I truly believe sunrise literally can make a world of difference. I think we already are, but I think if we really get serious, anybody want to get a warm welcome in heaven? Like that? Folks, it's all possible. Listen, we could not only take Las Vegas for Jesus by the Spirit of God. This country could get back on track through one church. Let's be that church. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents 
that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work 
on the cross to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.